All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. They're coming to get you, Barbara. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. Here's Johnny. Vanity. Definitely my favorite city. I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. The power of Christ compels you! This is my boomstick! What's your favorite scary movie? What up, whoreheads, and welcome to Shiver, a horror movie podcast. We are your hosts, I'm Daniel DeBona. And I'm David Uyua. And we are joined again this week by Eric Klein. Eric, how are you, man? I'm good. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, we are back. very happy that you're back. We are back after a week off. Um, we did Spooky Empire, and it turns out mm-hmm. spending 48 straight hours um, drinking wild turkey and talking <laughs> horror movies uh, <laughs> takes a toll on you. And uh, you got to get caught up on work and a bunch of stuff. <laughs> so we missed last week, but we are back. So now they're just, you know, connected episodes. We're going to be talking Fall of the House of Usher. We're coming back with the second half here. We're going to wrap this thing up. Man, this one is a lot. If you have not listened to our first one, go ahead and pause us right now. It just went live today. If you're watching us live, get on there and listen to us through Mm -hmm. the first four episodes because we had a blast with this one. But man, I think we've got even more to talk about now to wrap this thing up. This has been quite the ride. I mean, what an experience this whole damn thing has ended up being. So if if I can throw it back at you now, Daniel. Yes. You because Eric and I have have seen the the show in its entirety. I, I think before we even did the first one. Right, right. Um, you were waiting to watch these last four episodes until we were recording this what are your thoughts fresh right off of these last four and i mean and and when you say for i watched all four last night like i'm 24 oh, hours wow. removed okay. from oh, the wow. second half okay. of this thing and i mean it, it 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 was it was quite the ride it was interesting in, in the beginning the the thrill kind of came from realizing that he was doing all of the different Poe stories and things like that. Then with the second, the second half, the thrill was like, okay, well, how do we keep cranking this up? And Flanagan did not disappoint when it came to keep cranking it up. Uh, The, the, the weird hurdle I had with this one was I did run into the first Poe story that I was completely unfamiliar with in this second half. When we get to talking about Goldbug, I actually went and like paused it. And read a synopsis of just what happened in the story, Goldbug, just because it was the only one I had zero familiarity with. Like, I had honestly never even heard of Goldbug as a por- as a post story before I watched this one. Mm-hmm. So, uh, before I watched this show. So, I went, I didn't actually read it, just, re- you know, basically Spark Notes it. Yeah. Um, just to show my age there. I don't think Spark Notes is even a thing anymore. Um, no, but now they use, now they use Schmoop. Schmoop? Schmoop is fantastic. So is lit charts. <laughs> uh, it's, it's what all my students. <laughs> and so I was, I was thoroughly impressed by how five, you know, five, six, seven, eight episodes in, this thing still kept me on my toes, mm-hmm. kept me on edge, and even, even like knowing the stories and things like that, I was still 
in awe of some of the shit that this family accomplished, I guess is one way to put it. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm, I'm glad that that's, that's where you're at. Uh, um, that's very similar to where I was at. Uh, Eric, what about you? Yeah. I, I think I mentioned this uh, when we recorded last that I was a little bit like grumpier about the first half than the second half. You did mention that. <laughs> and, and, and I think, I think Daniel like kind of expressed like why it was where I, and maybe this was just like sort of warming up to it. I, I think I, and this was after we we're done recording. After we we're done recording last time, I was like, "Man, I think I did like those more than I realized." <laughs> but that, like the the beginning of it, felt so much to me. It's just like, okay, here's Poe, here's Poe, here's Poe, here's Poe, and then like in the second half, I felt like, well, it still obviously has all these Poe illusions and stuff like that. I felt like it was kind of maybe standing on its own two feet a little bit more, or if it's not like, it's just like, I got over my initial, it's probably the latter. Like I got over my initial, well, like sort of reservation. I don't think those two things are mutually exclusive. I think they can both be true. Yeah. I mean, I mean with, with the second half, I, I, I was much more interested in the family dynamics and where it's going um, and maybe part of that is because, well, half the family has already been killed. So there's like less extraneous stuff. It gets a little bit more kind of focused on each of the individuals, like each of the individual children in the last four episodes. I feel like it, it's it's a little bit more uh, uh, a little bit gives them a little bit more depth. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, I, I really like the second half of this. It it recovers the first half for me in, in a way that I, I finish it and I'm like. I like this. I'm glad I watched it. Right. What about you, Dave? Um, I do think that the second half is stronger than the first half. Um, and that is with a um, like a, a, a major lack of Kate Siegel. Um, I, I, think, <laughs> I think I may have said this in uh, in in the previous episode, but um, I, I am obsessed with her. Uh, and I, I will watch her and Carla Gugino, for that matter, in anything. Um, and so to uh, to kind of not have her in the second half, uh, to me, feels almost criminal. Right. Uh, because she's not just like beautiful, but she's an, an amazing actress. Um, so I, I would have liked to have. And that's the thing with Flanagan is that because we've seen so much of these actors, it's like I, I want them to be in the whole thing, but they can't be in the whole thing. Uh, because it, if not, then you it doesn't leave you with that feeling of wanting more. Right. Um, and I always want more of Kate Siegel. So, uh, so this show did a fantastic job of doing that. And Kate Siegel um, was Camille, right? Yeah. She was Camille. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. So she was, she was gone by the third episode, you know, and she'd right. show up here and there. Um, but I, I think that, um, Flanagan knows this. He knows that that people want to see more of her. And so he kind of just like dangles that carrot in front of you. Um, regardless, I think that this this last half of the show is just absolutely stacked. Um, like Daniel, Goldbug is one that I was not I, I'm going to say very familiar with because in college I bought a um, like a compendium of uh, of Poe. And and I know I've read through it. The thing is, I don't remember much of college, thanks to uh, <laughs> thanks to various substances. You know, thanks to college um, experiences. Thanks to the college experience, I don't remember much of college. Uh, so, like, I know I've read all of uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald, but I don't remember all of it. 
Um, so Goldbug was almost like a new experience for me. Um, and uh, I remember Goldbug being more of like a Treasure of the Sierra Madre style story. Yeah, it was very um, Goonies from what I could tell from reading. Kind the, of, reading the at least that's what I remember from Goldbug. But uh, but I, so for me, this was like a uh, this might as well have been the way that Poe wrote it. I, I don't really know. Um, and I haven't gone back to it. It's somewhere here on the bookshelf. Um, I'll get to it when I get to it. Um, but yeah, this th- to me, I think that this uh, this show goes out with a bang. And, yeah. and that's that's Flanagan style. So let's get into it. We're starting off with episode five. We start with the Telltale Heart, which gives us the the Victorine episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so shit, like not only does it give us the Victorine episode, but this is the one where we are reminded, oh, yeah, like this is this is horror and we can take Poe and we can make it very modern horror as well. So um, start us off talking about the Telltale Heart. Eric, what do you think? Uh, the Telltale Heart uh, is a great example of why I feel like the second half takes off. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we end with um, we ended with a black cat, didn't we? Wasn't that the yes. one before this? Because um, I'm thinking, uh, yeah, that it. But I'm thinking of. Um, room morgue like because oh, yeah. this one kind of picked like vic it kind of picks up with vic there and like what she's doing with the experimentations and everything and so uh we find out that this device that she's making she's kind of uh what fraudulently sort of gotten the approval for throughout and her partner both romantic and professional partner uh is like i'm not going to have anything to do with this and she throws her step. She throws her little statue at it. I'm thinking the right one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah okay, <laughs> you're looking you're right at me. On. I'm like, I'm like, am I? Yeah. And she throws the thing at her, and it's like not intentional. But one of the things I liked about this one is because I think, yeah, I think I can say with relative confidence, she's probably the the child that I dislike the most. Okay. Um, and so the the comeuppance was particularly satisfying to me. Yeah, no, that's a solid point. I, mm. I loved I loved this one because it perfectly built on Black Cat, where we got that idea of what always made Poe terrifying, which was watching a mostly normal person, you know, just completely lose their mind because of it. something. Yeah. And I loved the way, you know, when, when you read the Telltale Heart, you get, you know, like with because you don't actually hear it, you know, like the way it's written and the sound effects that, that are there, you, you kind of I always I always kind of get like a weird it's not actually like a heartbeat that I get. Right. It's kind of almost like a ticking that, mm-hmm. that, that I hear in my head when I read the Telltale Heart. There was something about the way that now in an audio and visual medium we got that sound that was actually, it wasn't just like a bump bump. It was like that wet squishing sound yeah. that a heart would make there. That was so unnerving, but what was amazing about this episode is you're right for, for all of the right reasons. I can't stand Victorine, but for all of the, all also all of the right reasons, Tania Miller was spectacular. Oh, for sure. In oh this yeah. Role. Tania yeah. Miller, like the the that she just she had she would get this look on her face when she was hearing it, 
and nobody else could hear it. And she would kind of do that stare off into space thing. And you would, you would just hear the heart beating. It was that, that whole thing was just, it was incredible. I loved that so much. Um, I, I'm with you, Eric. I think that Victorine is definitely the, the child that I disliked the most. Um, I think it's almost a toss up between her and, and Perry, but, um, um, but I think that she wins out by just a hair that said, um, I also, I think, um, feel for her in a way that I don't for Perry. So even though I, I end up, I think, hating her more, I also uh, sympathize with her a little bit more because she's the first child that has something to prove. And although she was like the first one outside of the, you know, the the nuclear family to to be brought in. Um, so the others look at her as a sort of like, oh, you were like the, you know, the, the game changer that made it possible for us to come forward. Um, but also feels... Oh, sorry. I was going to say, but also like the original pariah. Yeah. Because of that. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I love that scene in, in the bar after, um, after the death of uh, Leo, where, right. um, you know, the, the three of them are sitting together and they're like, you know, well, you know, we're the three left. And she was like, yeah, but it's, it's two and two of you and me. It's not really the three of us. Right. Um, so like there's always that nagging in the back of her head. So I, I, I do feel like she really felt she had something to prove mm-hmm. where um, Leo, I think, was much more like laissez faire about it. And 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 Perry was just upset that he had not yet proven himself. Mm-hmm. So I so I kind of understand where she's coming from, although I, I you know, I, I can't empathize with her. I sympathize with her. Um, I this is like a toss up between this one and the mask of the red death is for, which is my favorite in the entire show. Um, this is also one of my favorite post stories. Right. And, uh, and, and I think it was, it was done so much justice. The, the humor that was woven into it with the, the horror, I think it was not just like necessary, but really well executed because as she's like struggling with the fact that like, she just murdered her lover, you know, she's throwing something out like, you know, don't you know what it sounds like when one woman eats another woman out? Like that, that, <laughs> that, that blew my fucking socks off. Like what a great fucking line, you know? Um, and, and then the, the, for me, really, it's like the telltale heart is all about the buildup. Right. It's, it's all about the tension. I actually, um, my son has gotten really, he's nine years old. He's, he's just this year gotten into Poe. And, um, I told him, I said, you know, because uh, he's a big Dracula fan. I was like, you know that there's a, uh, a recording of Bela Lugosi reading Telltale Heart. He was like, no, I didn't know this. So I put it on for him. And we kind of just sat there for like 10, 15 minutes marveling at Lugosi reading, you know, this this masterpiece. And the whole time he was like, but what's going to happen? I'm like, stop. That's the beauty of this story. It's the tension, that mounting tension that doesn't ease up ever, really. Right. Because like it ends and it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> you know, um, I, I I think that this, along with the mask of of the Red Death, encapsulates Poe in a way that the other episodes, like as fantastic as they are, they don't reach the the heights of Mask of the Red Death or 
the Telltale Heart. Can can I can I ask y'all a question with yes. um, to 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 relate it to the story? Uh, well, first of all, I just want to say that like the the primary reason that I dislike her the most is just because of the, the the chimpanzees, like, right? Like <laughs> you're, like that's like yeah. that's it. Like you're you're torturing animals, like fuck you, yeah. Harry. You're killing everyone. I don't give a shit. Like <laughs> animals, like no, leave them alone. But okay, so like in, like with regards to the story. Um, do you think that Vic is mad or for lack of a better word, right? Insane before the accidental murder of her, of her partner? I think that's a solid question because there was, you were talking about that bar scene, Dave, Mm -hmm. and there's, there's a, there's a moment in that where, yes, she acknowledges there's you two and me, but she also keeps using a a we that you can tell the other two despise her for mm-hmm. using. There's there there's a use of a we in in her conversation that that Tamerlane and and Roderick like physically withdraw from, and so I do think that there were there were cracks in the facade early on because of that. Because of the idea that she never really fit in, which is, which is a, it's a, it's a brutal thing to have to live through. And I've never had to do it with family, but when I moved to go to college, I moved 800 miles away and I moved from a a very sizable city in Virginia to Tuscaloosa. And so metropolis. Yeah, exactly. And so um, you know, the, the the struggle to fit in can make you feel that way already because you start to have this weird cognitive dissonance between who you actually are and who you're trying to be for these other people. So I think that if you if you stretch that rubber band tight enough, then it eventually becomes something where it's very easy to snap. So while I don't know if she was actually crazy before, I think that the stress and the pressure of everything that came with trying to squeeze herself into the Usher world, into their family, had her push so far from what she kind of maybe ever thought she would be or what she was that that it, it was the failure of her project, which is what she had, like I said, that, that, that dissonance between what you are, the failure suddenly started to make what she wanted to be so impossible compared to what she was that she got lost in that Valley between those two things. Um, I don't think that's a hot take at all. <laughs> um, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to kind of echo what Daniel's saying here. I think that, um, the Usher family is doomed right from the yeah. start. Yeah. And, it's, a, it's, um, a Greek, it's a Greek tragedy. Yeah. And, and so, um, you know, having Usher blood in her, she's doomed. And, um, you know, it's the, the cracks in the foundation of the house of Usher are there. Once you add enough weight and enough stress, uh, the, the cracks will get worse. And um, eventually it will crumble. And that's what we see happen to just about everyone in, um, in the fall of the house of Usher. 
Um, and hers, I think, is just um, you know so brutal because she takes down um, someone else with her. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, whereas, you know, others may have their you know their their lives ripped from them. Um, you know, not physically. Uh, she actually does take the life of someone. Well, in, Perry did take down an entire party with him. He, yeah, but he, he didn't did. care about any of them. <laughs> okay, right. Fair. That's yeah. true. That's true. Yeah. Um, he he that's, wanted to bang his important. sister-in-law, but cared about is probably a stretch. Right, exactly. Well, like <laughs> yeah. the, the, the reason the reason I ask is because Dave, I mean, uh, you probably know, but like the guy, the, the the narrator in the telltale heart is fucking crazy from the beginning. From the beginning, yeah. It's not a thing where it's just like, oh, we see him lose his mind. Like, why does he do you remember why he kills the guy? Because of the vulture eye. It was evil. Yeah, he has he has an yeah, eye yeah. he doesn't like. He's like, Oh, mm-hmm. he, he has this eye. And yeah, he says, I, I had nothing but love for the man. I had nothing but, but love the for the eye man. was evil. <laughs> and he begins the story, right? Like, I know you're gonna think I'm crazy, but I'm not. Let me explain it to you. It's, and it's so he explains the whole thing. eye thing, which like, is something a sane person. Totally now i understand like expecting the audience i.e us the readers being like oh yeah yeah, the evil eye yeah (laughs) now i get it (laughs) and so like that's what i was wondering like with vic it's just like is she do we think she's kind of like lost it before she actually starts hearing the hearts and everything. yeah i think i think in a subtle way uh, that that is given to us by the fact that her um her girlfriend, I can't remember her Liz? name right now. Um, sure. Um, that she um Yo, she's okay. telling her, she's like, Your our data is tainted by the fact that you are using this Fortunato device on uh or the, the drug on these hearts, you know, uh, on uh on these uh, on these chimps, because now this is not you know uh accurate Allie. data Allie. uh ali it was ali yeah um to me for a researcher to um number one do this in the first place uh number two be told by someone uh that it is not just unethical but will end up fucking them in the long run um to me all of this says that she's nuts because like this is your career and it's not only her career in the sense that like she's being funded by her dad and like you know it's it's her family stuff but like outside of that she also has to continue to be um you know a, a medical researcher aside right. from the usher family so like n- no one that i know in like academia is willing to sacrifice like their reputation for tainted data. <laughs> no, I was wondering no where you were going to go with that. I'm like, man, because I feel like people in academia will sacrifice fucking anything. But reputation but might rep- be the one thing. Reputation they won't. is the only thing. It, 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 it really is the only thing. Um, you know, and I've adjuncted at a couple different universities. Um, you know, I, I I work with a university down here in uh, in, in Miami as I teach dual enrollment um, through that university, and it, like that's the only thing. Mm-hmm that uh, academics are not willing to to sacrifice to me that is proof positive that she is out of her fucking mind she's the mad scientist yeah yeah and 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 you know what if if we do and i still have sort of mixed feelings about it like but if we are gonna like sort of shoehorn this critique of the Sacklers and big pharma and stuff like that it makes sense that we will have as well as yes 
uh, Roderick Usher, the sort of, uh, you know, um, heartless, uh, uh, you know, business person chasing a fortune. It also makes sense that we have the mad scientist mm-hmm. figure. Uh, yeah. if, if we're going to talk about like the sort of rampant runaway sort of pharmaceutical interest industry that we have, it does make sense that we would have a figure that is um, I'll sacrifice everything for this one pursuit, including my reputation, including all of these innocent fucking chimpanzees. (laughs) You bitch. (laughs) And all these they shouldn't even be there in the first place. Right. (laughs) There was I will say there there was there was a moment in this, you know, for, for all the times that that we praise Mike Flanagan for doing subtle things that 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 we love occasionally it is fun when you can tell that this is just a guy who really loves the genre and doesn't mind occasionally doing something really cheesy and almost too on the nose, but also kind of like a, a now I see you type thing to have totally clips of the heart playing yeah. <laughs> when she throws yeah. the statue and kills Allie was Oh, I oh, loved man. it so fucking much. That, like yeah. it was, it was so good. Like, like, the the another brick the another brick in the wall one like okay yeah like maybe that one's okay but the total eclipse of the heart playing that one's just uh, th- that that was just that was so fun in like in in something that's so dreary and so serious all the time that song playing in that moment i thought was fantastic yeah um yet another reason why mike flanagan is the master right um, and this kind of moves us into uh, episode six, which is Goldbug. Um, Goldbug focuses on on Tamer Lane um, and and kind of like starts, I think, the, you know, the the crescendo of of the show. So uh, since we kicked it to Eric last time, Daniel, I'll kick it to you. Um, what what were your thoughts on this one? Like, I, I will. I, I'm going to uh, just come out of the box. This had. The one, the 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 moment that actually made me scream and jump in my on my couch in this episode, and it was that that window breaking, like when uh, when Roderick is telling his story and that window shatters behind yeah. him to the loudest boom that plays in the entire series, mm-hmm. and to bury to to not bury Barry's the wrong word to hide that thing six episodes in. So you're you're five and a half episodes in with just a couple of jump scares, a couple of moments, you know, the jester popping up in the limo, the first time we see Perry fully, those things, and so much that it happened was scary. But that was again, like I said, like sometimes it sometimes it's kiss, right? Keep it simple, stupid. Mm-hmm. Blow out a window with a loud ass boom in the middle of a tense moment. And then you get really scared, but it's one of those scares where then afterwards you laugh at yourself because it was so stupid. What was episode six? Not when we got that jump scare in the car with um, with Nell in um, the haunting of Hill House. 
Oh, I may have been. It may have been. That may have been six two. Yeah, it's and and, and that's one of those things where it's like it's a really tense moment between two characters. Yeah, in a very enclosed space, and then all of a sudden it's just bang, yeah. the greatest jump scare of all time. <laughs> and and you you're kind of laughing at yourself. You're like, oh, it shouldn't have got me, but I peed the bed either way. Exactly. <laughs> so, other than that, um, this episode was this episode was was wild as shit. Like just the, again, uh, you know, we, it, it's something we're going to keep talking about, but this was another one where the, 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 the terror of this episode was watching someone fall victim to their, their own bullshit mm-hmm. and, and watching her at just all of the weird and bizarre things that are that are wrapped up in her life which um if you're a fan of the show you know michael hungers hosted a couple of episodes with us uh the two of us had a very interesting conversation about whether or not a cuck is the right term for a woman who likes to watch her husband fucked turns out it is not um here's a little um sexual uh fyi for you she's called a cuck queen it is a different thing. Um, Michael Hunger and I did far too much research into this last night. And yet somehow not enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like just all of that kind of coming to a head and 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 her not her not sleeping and and everything that went into it also just becomes one of you know, we we've seen somebody turn on a sprinkler system full of caustic at water acid something right we've seen a person jump off a balcony somebody mauled by chimps somebody kill herself but this was a freakishly creative way yeah. to have someone die this and was, again have the death be their own fault this was probably the death that most got me like, oh, like you know what yeah. i mean Probably yeah, that, the most. it's it's one everybody's everybody's been cut by by a jagged piece of glass or just something rough before. And just the idea of all of that glass falling on you while you land on a bunch at the same time. Yeah, this one was very guttural. But again, a, a creative way to have her do it to herself, which was a fun change of pace from the one before that was just like, no, this chick just stabbed herself. Like, so, you know, we, we got just the real straightforward death in what, in what Vic did by stabbing herself into a very, very creative moment of her shattering the mirror above her bed and all of that glass falling onto her. There was just, there was, there was a lot in this episode that I really enjoyed, but the number one thing that I loved about this episode was, um, Dupin calling Roderick on the bullshit of how are you telling me about things that you weren't there for? Because, you know, you, you get into that, you get into that idea sometimes when you're reading something that shouldn't have an omniscient narrator and they're, they know details they shouldn't know. And it is, it's something I had thought about in the first couple of episodes, but kind of pushed from my mind. And I loved like, and it was a hard stop. It was he was in the middle of telling part of the story. And he's like, and, wait, wait, wait. Yeah. And yeah. he just interrupts him and calls him out on it. And then it's easily explained away by, oh, they told me. And I was like, yep, they did. All right, we're good. <laughs> now, like, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it was just I, I did I loved that moment because it was it was it towed the line of fourth wall breaking without actually doing it because then it it, it proposed something that 
in in the context of the show made sense. Love it, Eric. Yeah, like I said, um, uh, uh, this was the one like where it was kind of the first death that I feel like really got to me, like just in terms of like a sort of like bodily horror, like, yeah. um, and and the fact that it is these these mirrors and the sort of metaphor of that, right? Like it's this own image that she wants of herself that kills her, blah blah blah, which is true of like you know all of the ushers, I guess, right. Um, uh, I, I like that in this episode, and it's not just in the this is this episode. It's through Tam Tamerlane as a, a, the character as a whole, but just like the sort of digs at like the sort of like wellness craze and like just like how <laughs> bullshit and empty it is. Um, I, I like that, uh, and and you know the 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 when she's um, up on stage, like first announcing this this brand and everything and. It's kind of like, yeah. It's not like, goop. <laughs> it's not goop. And it's these not are goop. not the Sacklers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, no, like again, like this I, I this episode, this episode was good. Um yeah. Yeah, I I I love I'm not gonna I'm, um, not, gonna, I'm not gonna kink shamer. I mean, whatever you know, <laughs> no, like, no, oh, yeah, not, not at all. I mean People you know? are into what they're into. They're right. into um, what they're into. And, if, and as, as long as consent is, is, uh, is involved. But do you think, um, like, the show does? Do you think the show... I mean, because I feel like the show kind of depicts it like, oh, look at how fucking crazy she is with this. Or no. So I don't know that the show depicts her as crazy in that regard. I do think that the show um, points out the hypocrisy of her being this um like ideal woman and behind closed doors she's not the ideal she is something else and yet there's um like that that very old school and traditional um sort of like um I wish my wife let me fuck around thing that's happening there where she's giving her husband permission and yet um, he doesn't want it because the only thing that he wants is intimacy with her. Right. And she's so unable to give that um, in, in the way that he wants it. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I don't know if it's necessarily kink shaming her, but I think that it is, kind of you know wagging a finger at the the hypocrisy of i'm presenting myself to be something that i'm not and i'm selling you to go back to that idea of like the self-help and you know the the you know the crunchy goop thing um i'm selling Don't you this idea crunchy goop again. <laughs> <laughs> there's something off about that oh. um the that's, um, goop. that's goop that has dried yeah. <laughs> um you know she, she's selling you this idea that like this is what you want to be you want to be me and yet what she's actually offering is is a facade uh which interestingly is the thing that kills her because as she shatters the reflection of herself that she puts out there it's right. the very thing that kills her i love how literary that is yeah um right. uh I'm, I'm with you on that eric you know for for me that was like the the the, the crowning achievement of this episode where it was like ah i see what you did there it was uh and i i loved 
everything about this episode. Um, I love this actress um, because you you really get to hate her in um, Midnight Mass. Yes, and and I actually kind of felt for her. Um, she's one of the ones that I think I sympathized with uh, most on the show um, because she does feel like she needs to hide her true self. Um, whereas um, someone like Victorine, who's not you know traditional in in that sense, right? She she's not hetero. She's um, you know and and she's out, and yet Tamerlane can't be. Um, because one of these things, one of these things is um, accepted, and the other one isn't. Yeah, and I think right. that you you were saying like, does, does the show kind of does does it kink shape? I think that it kind of does the opposite in showing the the stress that it can put on somebody for not mm. like Dave said, not being able to live their truest self because of the fact that this is something that isn't socially acceptable. And and so she she has to keep this hidden. It just shows it as another stressor in her life. So that that becomes a big triggering thing when she sees the video, you know, right. go live in front of all of these people and she and, and she starts to shatter the TV. I don't think it is much. I don't think it I don't think it's portraying the fact that that because she is into this is why she's crazy it's the fact that she has to hide that she's like this which is pushing her crazy so i think it almost it does the opposite of kink shaming and being like look if we just let everybody fly them freak them freak flags right like then 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 that would just be one less stressor in people's lives but then but then there's also i think the other layer and that's that's a you know great support for for what i was saying there but i think there's also another uh thing which um i i mentioned which is that like it's not what her husband wants so I so I think it is kind of shaming her in that way. There you go. Where it's like, you know, whatever you want to do in the bedroom is fine as long as everyone is on board. And um and and he's not. He's he's not at all. Like, he's, right. he's, he's not at all. He's he's doing it because yeah. it's going to make her happy. Forced consent. But it's is not making consent. him right. And that's mm. that's really all it is. Because if he was into it, then it's a totally different story. Um so I I, I think it's it's a really interesting and um i think complex way of of looking at at kinks because it, it's not as simple as like i'm into this and so it's okay but am i into this and are you into this and are we into this together um you know it's um i i think a really adult way of looking at this where it's it's not just um like oh kink bad or oh kink good it's you know well it's kind of fucked yeah it's in the gray right like it 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 keeps everything from just from just being black and white exactly um so there there's i i I didn't think about any of this part of it until right now i was too fascinated with just the just the whole world of what is a cut queen um (laughs) it's an interesting rabbit hole to say the least yeah Uh, (laughs) um i did I did love that this was the first episode where somebody had their moment publicly, mm-hmm. right? Like, like Victorine, hers was behind closed doors. Leo, his was just in his apartment. And, um, but it, we, because of the fact that, that Tamerlane was the first character who we went through, who kind of was a major public figure, I loved that her fall came in front of her public. 
I thought that that was very well done because when you look at everybody else, like, yeah, sure. Perry's was with a bunch of other people, but everybody was masked. Right. And so you didn't actually know what was happening to him. Uh, and, and then it was just, it was behind closed doors, behind closed doors in private and private. And then it was like, but they were all people whose lives were built that way. And so Tamerlane, she, I mean, not just like in front of a group of people during a live press conference, you know, that, that we can only assume in front of, you know, there's, there's a hundred something, 200 something people in the room. We got to assume it's also being cast around the world if this right. is a, a product launch. And so her whole thing, I, I thought that the whole idea of her relationship with, uh, with built, being uh being you know just like a, a matter of convenience thing because he needed her followers she needed his followers excuse me she needed his followers to then have that breakdown and all of those people that he had brought in after everything she'd put her he'd put her through she'd put him through geez after everything she'd put him through to have that breakdown come in front of all of those people made it even more poetic yeah absolutely so Goldbug again cranks it up, gives us a death on par with, I mean, just about anything uh that that Flanagan's done. And and this is not even to mention that we discussed the entire episode of the Telltale Heart without mentioning the fact that that was just one of the most gruesome things that Flanagan has committed to film in his career so mm -hmm. far. Um, by actually showing us Allie with her chest done open with the, I don't know what surgeons call that thing where they spread your ribs open or whatever. But we actually saw that whole thing. We got this one where it was, it was, it was a much more brutal death because yes, getting hit in the head with the back, getting hit in the back of the head of the statue is, is, is going to suck. But like that, the mirror thing, like you said, it was it was bodily. You could mm -hmm. feel it. So we take all of that, and and I mean, now we're just full head of steam, going into episode seven, and we hit the pit and the pendulum. Mm -hmm. And I, I I'm torn on who to throw to first here. I'm gonna go to Dave just because he hasn't had a chance yet. But there was a conversation we had last episode about characters we thought we'd like becoming characters we hated and this is the one where we get Roderick's story in the pit and the pendulum so dave tell us about your views of Roderick's journey that we get through this episode man okay so um i'm gonna preface this by saying that the story that first got me into poe was the pit and the pendulum it was uh, the movie that got me into the story that got me into post. So I'm right. Oh, there really? Yes. No one expects um, the Spanish inquisition. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh, always a good time for money Python. Always. Um, so um, when, when I saw that this was the penultimate episode, I was like, well, fuck, they're going to do this right. And I think they did um, <sighs> because um, I was like, how the fuck are they going to do the Spanish inquisition? Right in here, right? Like there's there's no there's no monastery, there's no castles, there's no like what what are they gonna fucking do? And they go back to the very first murder and they they do it up like a fucking dungeon. And it's so it's so fucking perfect. So that aside, Frederick's fall, I think, 
is um maybe my favorite thing about the entire show because um like what you were saying um and i think it was eric who pointed this out in the last episode henry thomas has a way of endearing himself to you yes yes it's because he's elliot right and yes it's because he (laughs) he was in flight of the navigator and he had the little fucking you know uh Kawakian <laughs> monkey on him, and all that shit, right? It wasn't salacious be crumb, but it was salacious be crumb, right? <laughs> um, it's because of all those reasons, right? Um, and he's also like in the other things that he's done with um, with Flanagan, he's usually a very like endearing character, yeah. He's usually like kind of the heart and like sympathetic, yeah. like, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, but to see him be a dirtbag. I think was, was just like spectacular. And it's, it's almost to me, like he's been auditioning for this part, right? <laughs> his entire, his entire career with Flanagan. Cause we get to see a little bit of that in um, Dr. Sleep where he, he plays Jack Nicholson, right. But not that. playing Jack oh, Nicholson. So um, and he, he gets kind of that like really scary, like evil man in there and he does that here and because he does it with this facade of like the bumbling idiot the facade of the caring father of you know the the hapless husband it's even scarier i think because we all know people like him where it's like you know oh he's just a nice guy Right. But is he really, you know, is he Buffalo Bill behind closed doors? I was going to say, like, how many, like, just like local newscasts? Like, yes. Oh, he was just a he was just a nice, normal guy. Yeah. <laughs> he was well, just a dad. You know, uh, interestingly enough. Your Minnesota um, was showing when you said nice, normal guy. <laughs> <the way. laughs> yeah. Wouldn't you know? Um, we're, we're actually right now, like in uh, in Miami and my my school's community. um specifically um there's an alumnus from our school who was uh murdered by his father oh jesus just uh just last week and like it it fucking rocked us because it's a family that's been a part of our school for many years um and um i i taught this kid's brother you know so like i met the dad and he seemed perfectly normal and you talk to anyone they're like yeah he was he was a really normal guy nice guy and emptied an entire magazine into his son. Cool. Fuck man. How the fuck does that happen? And that's, that's what's so scary about Frederick in this episode for me. I mean, we see, we see the decline because he goes from like really concerned and he's like, fuck, is she going to pull through? I need her. She's my rock to like fucking doping her up. Mm hmm with with the ligadone and um and and just by the time he's pissing on the ashes of the family in the dungeon bar right thing i'm hoping that he didn't have enough time to put it away (laughs) <laughs> so that the pendulum cuts through him before it cuts through him. I want this you know? man to die with his dick out. Yes, that's exactly what I wanted. You know, and I loved, I loved that when, um, when Carla Gugino came on, she mocked him for it. Yes, you know, it's like you know, y- you are the scum of the fucking earth. Anything I can do to make you suffer before you die needs to happen. 
Um, I absolutely loved the 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 fall in you know the last of the uh, the ushers before we get to Madeline and uh, and, and Roderick in in this episode. Uh, it, to me, this this episode is like there's in these last you know four there's the telltale heart right up here and then like just beneath it is the pit and the pendulum eric well um yeah no i i i really agree with everything dave is saying um and and has said i uh frederick was the one that we start out like wanting to like like thinking you know and 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 but he's the oldest of the children so of course like deep down he's going to be like the most like sinister or whatever right? right one of the things i wanted to ask y'all like similarly to my question about um about the last the last episode but like is there is there a way that you think it sort of deals with uh, addiction a little reductively like it's just like oh see this guy sucks and he likes cocaine and like <laughs> and that like every time he gets like shittier like he's fucking snorting shit and like of course doesn't he do cocaine like like at the dungeon before he dies am i am i yeah yeah, that yeah right? because yeah, that's yeah. how he ends up paralyzed yeah like that out. there's there's a weird way to me and and maybe it's kind of like what y'all were talking about with the previous episode that maybe it's like actually indicating something else here but i remember like when i watched it I was like, okay, he sucks, but like, you're just like adding this like addiction thing on it. And and like, personally, that's one thing, like one problem I've had with Flanagan as a whole is he like, just like loves to like throw addiction, like in his shows. And I think sometimes it sticks and sometimes it doesn't. Um, the one guy, the, the one brother in, um, the haunting of hill house like the junkie the heroin yeah, addict yeah. like that episode is incredible and i can never watch it again like as somebody that's like struggled it, like it in watch. their own with like addi addiction and shit like that like but like i feel like he does it really fucking well there and i feel like in this one i didn't get it the same way for this one at least to me at the, the, that's why i'm asking y'all like what you felt about like the way that he treated like his sort of like powder addiction in this. I, I thought that it was a little like one dimensional and kind of, I, I, I can agree with that because the, the, the addition of cocaine to his life uh, throughout this, it like on the one hand, it becomes at first, it's just something that he, he says he just, you know, he needs it just to kind of lean on it. Cause he's got to get stuff done. But then now that you pointed out, it does become something where like, as he as he falls kind of deeper into it uh he that's as he becomes a worse person so i can see where that you could take that from it i didn't think about it uh until now but and i, I, I do see it, that point yeah and it's certainly not like correlation equals causation like i it, like it's not like flanagan directly makes it like this is why but there's like yeah there's just this weird correspondence there that i don't know dave what do you think um Cocaine makes me awesome, um, <laughs> um, and I, I've, I've never. And I I've can never do been, anything. I've, I've never been an addict. I've never been an addict, um, and um, I haven't done it in years. Uh, so this, I mean, this is going back to like the, the my my heavy metal years. This is Naked right? Vengeance Day. This is the Naked Vengeance Day. So like, if you hear our intro music, that's from. My heavy metal days, that was my metal band, Naked Vengeance. You can look it up. I had really long hair, long beard, um, and so did the, the other guys in the band. Um, 
and uh and cocaine was there um a hundred percent like looking at this like uh, objectively um like years removed from it um cocaine made me a better guitar player a hundred percent um and um and i was much more interesting when when i was high on cocaine much more um <laughs> we're um, that said, I, under, just I think you were interesting because you had <laughs> so much to say. <laughs> no, 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 wait, 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 just let me get this point out. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Can, can, I, can I talk? Can I talk? Yeah. Um, that said, um, I I do understand why it's used as um, sort of a, a, a marker for um, like the derailment of someone's life. Um, that doesn't mean it's smart or easy um, or to me, it's, it's, it's a little lazy, um, a little on the nose, <laughs> um, but um, <laughs> it's, I don't think it was necessary to have in the episode. And in that sense, I guess it is gratuitous use of addiction to, um, to kind of make a character point. Whereas had had the cocaine use not been there, would it have changed anything? And I don't think it would have. Um, so I think that's a really interesting question because he has handled it with a plum before um, with with the way that it was done in Hill House uh, because oh it was integral to the character. Right. Without that as a as a crutch for. Um, like you know, to to cope with the the trauma of his childhood, um, the the characters and work, um, and but Frederick like, does integral to like how like what happens in the end with them like absolutely right, like, yeah. Um, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, there's I guess there's, like, there's one thing that I don't like about this now, and, <laughs> and I guess like just like one like last point with it, and I don't want to harp at it because like I, I like on the whole like. As you said, as I said, Flanagan usually does this well. I think he dropped the ball a little bit here. But, like, because so much of the overall arc of the story is about, like, this moral decay and this moral mm -hmm. decline, right? And and we know that, or, or we'd like to pretend uh, culturally, I, I don't know that the institutions actually believe this, but, like, that like addiction is disease and it's moved away from that sort of moral bankruptcy model that did mm -hmm. dominate like uh, discussions of addiction for so long that it's just like, Oh, you're an addict because you're a bad person. Right. Or, you know, that the, like the way that it has those correspond with the larger themes of the show. I just didn't like that that much, but I love the atmosphere of this episode. Mm -hmm. I, I loved like beyond that, like the way that he, um, the way that we do see his decline. I mean, the shit with his, like him and his wife in the hospital is just like fucking hard to watch sometimes. Oh my God. Yes. Like, uh, you know, uh, it's like, Oh my God. Um, so, and this is where we also start to see maybe not right here. Maybe it is a couple episodes earlier, but if, if I remember right again, this is, it's been a little bit, um, but this is where we really start to see his daughter as a fuller character. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, this is where yeah. Lenore becomes more than just just a, a 2D character kind of in the, the 2D, like see she's good. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and and for me, that's really what marks uh Frederick as a terrible person. Because I think that yeah. you can hate someone for um for lying to you and for having an another 
another life you didn't know about or, or uh, another side of them that you didn't know about. I think I think that it's understandable to hate someone for that. And even even though the way she's painted is not like someone who did this regularly, but like someone who was looking for adventure for one night. Um, and, and I don't fault her for that at all. Right. Um, but that's what he thinks. That's right. what he thinks. And and I think that that is an understandable reaction to have now the, to harm someone for that, obviously wrong, but to go from loving father to the dick that we see when his daughter has nothing to do with that situation. To me, that's when I was like, mm, you're a real honest to goodness piece of shit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you talk about the atmosphere of this, like the, the, the way that the, that his house, it reflects kind of at, you know, his, his decline to where we said, his know, like the, fancy, like modern house. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Like um, we, we start to uh, the, you know, when he puts up the pictures of them all over and it's like, oh, okay. So yeah, this guy has completely fought. Like before we, before we find out he's pulling her teeth out with pliers, Jeez, we, we are, we are fully aware of the fact that this dude has gone all the way off the deep end, you know, and he's, he's plastered the entire play, the entire room that she's in. So as she's aware, but unable to speak, she's just bombarded by all these pictures. She doesn't, he never gives her the opportunity to, like Dave said, explain that this wasn't a, a regular thing, you know, that even honestly, and even on that night, nothing happened. You know, she never gets that opportunity. She just has to lay there soaking in his madness as as he as he's just completely losing his mind. And so when it starts there and then we and then we find out about the pliers, I've loved in this episode the fact that even Verna who is I, I don't know a demon, the actual devil, you know, left up to 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 consideration, but I love the fact that she even expresses a hate for him. Mm -hmm. we 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 get her where she is dealing with somebody who traded his entire family's future for for what he will have as a lifetime she's dealing with just all of these awful people and 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 handling it and just just being that real casual you know angel of death devil type thing but when she finally faces down roderick and and she she said you know she, I, I I what is she she says some of the lines of I usually don't get this physically involved but once I saw the pliers I knew I had to do something, and she starts to express the fact that she's disgusted by him. That's when you know it's like whoa, this guy's really hit some some new lows, in, in the fact that this is a this is an entity whose entire being exist to deal with terrible people and she's sick of your bullshit man like you yeah. like you've tapped into something really weird here and so and we we start to see you know kind of the extent of her powers a little bit more in this episode which again leads you to wonder like what the hell is she which i i loved i loved wondering what ultimately she was and and why she could see into the future and and she could affect all of these things that were going to happen but yeah that moment when even she was like you're awful 
and I'm going to make sure that your death is awful. And I want it to go out like this so much that I'm just going to lay here and enjoy it. That was, that was incredible. Like when she actually like rolls over on her back next to him and and the the building's coming out, she goes, ah, nobody ever gets this view, you know? And it was like, (laughs) she's reveling in this one, Mm -hmm. but all the others she was, you know, therefore did directly or whatever, but this was the one that seemed to bring her pleasure. And, uh, and I, I guess it was actually the next episode. So we'll talk about it a little bit more, but you know, like when you get the opposite, when she's dealing with Lenore yeah. uh, in the next episode. And so it was just, it was really cool to get that moment where even something that seems for all intents and purposes to just be evil incarnate uh, is there when she becomes disgusted with you, it's like, okay, so we're all right to hate this guy. Like, okay, good. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for the cherry on top there. Um, I wonder if to go back to the cocaine use, I wonder if Flanagan couldn't figure out a way for him to become incapacitated at the club. See, if that's the case, like that's I, he, mm. Like, I, I, I really <laughs> hope that that's not it. <laughs> you know because what I mean? To, to, me, like, to me, that's that's exceedingly lazy. If, yeah, like if that's the case. But like he he needed he needed a reason to like get to the club and then become incapacitated. Right. Because of the structure of um of that episode. So um I'm starting to dislike the cocaine thing even more. Yeah, I'm not seeing another reason for it. If that, I mean, because if that is right, like, dude, there's so many other ways you could have like accomplished that same goal. I mean, Verna is, as you were saying, Daniel. I mean, seemingly all powerful. I mean, she she mimics his voice to do the to do the radio thing. She complete like Mm. she's she convinces the the wait staff at the party to leave she she's the one who gets him to put the the ligadone or the the nightshade the peruvian mm-hmm. whatever into his cocaine bag so yeah she obviously has she could have just been like lay down <laughs> and like and he would have hit the <laughs> yeah. ground you know yeah yeah um hmm. but regardless of that i still like the, the, yeah. there is something spectacular here yeah yeah. Um, and this leads us to the last episode, which I think is aptly named The Raven. Um, and so I am going to who did we kick it to last? Was it me? And then you, before that, it was Eric, you. Sir. OK, so back to Eric. Um, what did you think of this last episode, Eric? Um, yeah, it was good. Um, I, the the the. Um... The stuff with Verna and uh, the the death slash murdering of, of Lenore mm-hmm. is like one of like the in in like a total um, opposite way that that what Daniel was saying with the the murder of of Freddie that with this that we see the sort of um, really sympathetic version Mm -hmm. of verna that's like i don't like this is what i have to do but i don't want to do this whereas Mm -hmm. like yeah throughout most of them she's pretty indifferent right and so i like i I like that i like that it builds more on lenora i hate that we see her death um this is also when we see the cask of amontillado 
Yeah. Uh, um, and that was, that was, that was good. That was, I, I liked that. I like that. I think that was the opening sequence if I remember. Right. right. Um, and I did like that even like, that's where the show begins. Right. Like I said in the last time, like this eye rolly, like another brick in the wall, like, <laughs> Oh, um, but this, like, we actually see him fill it in and it's that guy. Um, is he Hilo in Battlestar Galactica? can't remember what his name oh, is. Oh, shit, he is from Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, we got we got yeah. we got both him and the president, right? Yeah, like, we got, like, yeah. Um, I think he's Hilo. Like no, he's not Hilo. I don't remember his name. Um, but anyways, so it's it's so it's so he's like this boss, and like we see this. It's one place where we see a kind of cosmic justice on somebody that's not the ushers, yeah. and actually they're the ones enacting it because like this is not somebody I feel bad about. Right. Like, I mean, even if that way of death is pretty fucking horrific, like they, for, for viewers or listeners, right. Like, like the cask of Montiato, they just sort of like tie him up and then put a wall in front of him and just leave him to die. Um, but he sucks and he sucked throughout the whole <laughs> fucking show. Yeah. Um, so I like that. I think that the end with um, Madeline is actually, I think that's like one of the, like the scariest scenes in the whole show is when she finally comes up and oh, is like yeah. choking Roderick. Um, Cause she has like what, like the, the little rocks in her eyes or whatever. Yeah, The Egyptian stones. Yeah. That in that. Um, so that was, that was pretty great. And then. Yeah. What? DuPont gets out and he's just like, mm, I'm retiring. And then, <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm done with all this. Yeah. yeah like, I, I think it's, I think it's a pretty satisfactory conclusion to the whole show. I don't think that it throws in any curveballs or, or weird things at the end. I think because this show operates in this, uh, the frame narrative that it does. And there's this sort of Greek tragedy type thing that it has. We already know. And, and it's the fall of the house of Usher. We all know this fucking story. Like we already know how it's going to end. The house and I think, falls. <laughs> weird. <laughs> what? Uh, but it's also a metaphor for family. Um, <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> but that's like, okay, we already know it's going to happen. And I feel like it just executes it well without trying to do anything like flashy or like, mm -hmm. Oh, like this one final twist or something like that. It's just, it goes how, it goes how we expect it to. And I think it does it in a satisfying way. Perfect. So there were, in, in this show, there were two moments that, that made me, I, I, I was, I was never sad that Frank Langella got pulled from it. Like, uh, you know, I was like, oh, okay, sure. Like, let's, you know, let's, let's see what happens. But there were two moments. In oh, he was show. the original Roderick, right? Yes, yes. Yes. Okay. So there were two moments in this show that I think that Bruce Greenwood pulled off better than Frank Langella could absolutely could have. And there was the first one was in Telltale Heart. And that is his reaction to opening the door and seeing Allie. And and trying to still interact with Vic, absolutely. Like, like there yeah. was there was there was something guttural about that moment where I was like, "Whole this dude was so perfectly cast." But the one that sold it, and they 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 saved it for bottom of the ninth in this Bruce Greenwood reciting the Raven in this last mm -hmm. episode 
gave me chills. It hit on every single level. It was so perfectly placed in the narrative. It was so perfectly placed in the timing of the show. And his delivery was stellar. I was floored at how good that moment was. That was the standout thing from this final episode for me was he started into it. And I was like, okay, somebody's finally doing the Raven. And then it just, just everything that built into that moment where he was dealing with finding Lenore and the way that that entire thing was shot with just his voice perfectly reading the Raven uh, over the top of this. You know, we're ta- we were talking about, uh, about the pit and the pendulum seeing the movie made me kind of figure out the story. My earliest, uh, my earliest experience with the Raven was Treehouse of Horror. Yes, 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 yes. And so, Keep my shorts. <laughs> exactly. And so, <laughs> and so, you know, you 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 see that, and then you read it, and then it, you know, it's done, and it's done over and over again. And you've heard I've heard so many people read the Raven. But man, just everything that and, and that everything that went into his delivery in that point and his voice in that moment was so good. I was blown away there. And so just for, for everything else that happened in the episode, Jess, we, we finally see him bricked into the wall. The brick that says you're small. Yeah. You know, yeah. You're so small. Yeah, you're so small. Just there were Love so it. many little things in this that were just perfect, you know. Uh, you know, just uh, let me let me let me butcher a French phrase, piece de resistance, right? Yeah, um, there, there were just so many perfect little things in this episode that it, it's just it, it, it was it was a reminder of why every single time we talk about Mike Flanagan on this show we just sing his praises because he it there's always that wrap up from the stark stark ending and the bleakness that's the ending of oculus to the 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 pure jump we haven't even done it on the episode but uh, on the show but the the pure jump scare that's the ending of ouija origin of evil what a great underrated movie fuck yes i love that movie um, but just the guy knows how to put the perfectly tied bow on every project he does. And this was no different. Just everything we got in this episode down to the fact that, yes, one of the last things we see is the actual house fall. But we, you know, it took us seven episodes to get there. And we got all the metaphorical falling of the house first. And then you just cap it with like, and this is what it actually looks like. You know, just that was all so perfectly done. I, I this episode, while not the goriest, while not the scariest, even though that fucking jester scare like at a minute seven, eight mm. in the episode was horrifying. It was just, it was the perfect way to end all of this. Well, like, and, and uh, Dave, I know you want to, but like that, it, it also wraps it up well in this bow because like the first episode is, what's the, the title of it? Like Once Upon a Midnight Dreary. Yeah. yeah. 
Like, so that's like, it's, it begins with the Raven and ends with the Raven yeah. and in the, like the poem, the Raven, like it's about a guy like Reading. so much of Poe, like fucking <laughs> losing his mind right, yeah. and losing his mind in his isolation and this sort of way that, I mean, it's not as clear. I, I don't think it's been a while since I've read the poem, like, but it's not as clear, like in a specific way of like guilt in the way that roderick ushers is but it is this way of like i'm isolated there's this regret in my life like and i'm going crazy because this bird is like cawing at me and like what the fuck does nevermore mean exactly exactly what it sounds it like it sounds like something that should mean something but it actually <laughs> doesn't have a meaning right like this right. is just a word he made up um, and it's just like, well, I feel like, well, never and more like it's kind of oxymoronic, but but it's just like this guy that's like losing his mind because of shit that he can't make sense of. And this shit that he can't make sense of is causing him to feel regret about his previous life in the way that when thing when we can't make sense of things, the way we make sense of it is more of a reflection of ourselves than the thing itself. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and And I feel like with the the plot stuff that the way this aligns with the fall of the house of usher does great as far as the title goes i actually really like how this does kind of, of evoke some of the the similar sort of i don't know tones or themes of the poem it could have been really easy to just be like yeah it's the raven because that's what everybody knows about poe right and it does have the raven at the end and like whatever but i feel like it actually does use that poem not just with him reading it but with him or like with the sort of like the way that we see him kind of break down in this episode i i think that for me is what really did this is that um to find out that from Verna that what Roderick would have been had he not made a deal that night is a poet. Right. It, it, all of these like little hints, you know, of like Annabelle Lee and all that stuff that shows up throughout the show now suddenly makes sense. And so it makes sense that he recites the Raven at that moment but it also makes sense because he is totally broken at that moment as is the narrator of the raven right. um so to, to me it was uh, poetic to uh, to have him read the poem or recite the poem because i guess he's you know writing it on the spot um at that moment but then also for that to be able to be woven into Roderick Usher's story so seamlessly mm -hmm. where it's not just here's the Raven and now we're back to the fall right. of the house of Usher to me, to me, it just made sense. So we're getting all these things that are converging, right. Along with the family drama, which like for me, ultimately, as much as I love Poe, that was the most interesting thing about the show for me was the Flanagan side of it. Not so much the, the post side, and I loved all the post stuff, but I remember going into the Raven thinking, there's a fuck ton of stuff that needs to be wrapped up here. How right. the hell is he going to do this? And and he managed to do it without me thinking, oh, what a neat little bow. And, right. and, and I think that for me is the greatest accomplishment of this all is that in eight episodes, we're able to get this incredible family drama. 
But the other thing that I love so much, and this will be the last thing that I mentioned, because you guys basically touched upon everything. Um, and I don't want to sit here and just, you know, regurgitate the same thing. Um, the, the final thought that I'll leave us with is that I remember the first time I read the fall of the house of usher, um, in junior English and the image that I had in my mind when the narrator is looking at the house crumble is exactly what I saw at the end of this episode when DuPont is looking at the house and I, I remember there's there's a lake that's in front of the the Usher estate that it's on the property. Even the way that the pavement is wet in mm. Flanagan's Usher mimics the lake. And and I was like, my God, this is exactly what I saw all those years ago, sitting in Mr. Panzer's class, reading this. Uh, you know, uh, on on a not a midnight dreary, but in in October, and and thinking, God, he fucking did it. He he managed to capture exactly the way that I felt when I read Poe. Maybe it's how he felt when he first read the Fall of the House of Usher. I don't know what it was, but it was a very special moment for me to see that, and I was like, God, you fucking rock. Yeah. And if we could just take a second before we wrap everything up to talk about how fucking awesome is Mark Hamill as an addition to. Oh, to yeah, we have to not given. Against, yes, to, we have not given. Passive characters. <laughs> and then for him to get this like beastly awesome moment where we finally get to see like he actually gets to sit down and we, we get some of the yes. him story but we you know starting off with like the walking up and putting the needle in verna's neck and then just perfectly wrapping her in the plastic and the tape and then just tells her to go fuck herself yeah. like it's just so great it was like what does he say i'll just i'll i'll, I'll play out my hand yeah, you know, like yes, and now and, and 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 when I say addition to his cast of characters that he uses, he's coming back in. He's been cast in Life of Chuck, the uh, the new one, yeah. uh, the 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 newest one that he's doing. So he's he's in that Flanagan circle now, but he was so good in this entire thing and just always in the background, which was perfect for the character because. We always just know him as this looming shadow over the Usher family and that everything they do goes through the, the what do they call him? The Pim Reaper, yeah, you know, yeah. and, and it all goes through him. And so he's just always there every episode. He's got a small part, a ridiculously important part, but a small one. And then we finally get him. He sits down with Verna and we get the breakdown of of his life, you know, which would kind of been hinted at earlier with his with his uh, expedition around the globe and all of mm -hmm. that. And then for him to just sit there and be like this guy who has been, a, you know, basically at the beck and call of the Usher family for all this time and cleaned up all their messes. I mean, he's a fixer is exactly what this guy's yep. been. Bigger balls then all of them combined because he's the one guy who's like, I've lived this life. And now if I've, you know, if it's time to pay the piper, then let's, let's fucking go. Well, you know, he's, it, he's, a, he's a foil to Verna, right? Right. Like, mm -hmm. like, it, like, I mean, she's metaphysical, he's material. Like she kind of like has this way of, uh, 
uh, proacting on these things. He's reactive. There's this way that he is kind of the opposite of her. I mean, even the way that he's just like always wearing all this black stuff, yes. right? Always with the gloves. And yeah. with the gloves, like there's this way that he's this perfect foil to her. And then, yeah, at the end, the way that that comes to a head and like, hey, what's going to win? The material or the metaphysical? The metaphysical is always going to fucking win. Right. Yeah. So just, I mean, just, just before, before we wrapped it up, had to bring up Mark Hamill. So this, I mean, we've made it through eight episodes here where you've heard us talk about it for going on three hours now. And it is time that we finally rate this thing. So if we get into the ratings, if you are new to the show, if you just need a quick reminder, we only rate things against themselves. It's not fair for us to hold this up to even other Flanagan works as we're comparing it to movies, other miniseries that, that didn't have the background that this one did. So for everything that we rate on this show, we create a unique rating system. And Eric, I forgot to warn you about this, but I'm going to throw it to you anyway in case you in case you didn't know or maybe you did whenever we have a guest on we like for them to create the we rate it out of a possible five but five what what should we rate fall of the house of usher out of a possible five what um uh uh five vulture eyes there we oh, go. i love that i love it so <laughs> eric out of a possible five vulture eyes what do you get fall of the house of usher um I would say a four. Um, I would say that like before I had this conversation with y'all, it would have been like maybe a two and a half or three at best. But yeah, like a four, like I, I, I very much appreciate the show more after talking with (laughs) y'all. I definitely think as we've discussed the second half makes up for what I didn't like about the first half um there's still i feel like a lot of missteps which is why i don't give it like a a a four and a half or five because i'm like in thinking in grading mode well that's like a 90 or a hundred right um so like yeah like like a solid b a solid four vulture eyes i would say (laughs) okay four vulture eyes dave um i'm gonna have to give it five vulture eyes um because while it isn't perfect, um, you know how when you're grading something and you're looking at your rubric and you're like, all right, so it's not going to get m- the maximum number of points, but <laughs> does it really go off to like the next thing down? That's kind mm-hmm. of where, where okay. I am here, where it's like, if there's something that bugs me, does it bug me enough to like bring it down a peg? And um, I don't think it does because I I, I would feel... I would feel like I'm lying to myself if I were to say four and a half and we don't go quarters here. Uh, Cause I don't, <laughs> I, I don't know how to math. Right. So, um, uh, so I'm going to go five, five vulture eyes. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm right there with you. And, and you said exactly what I had in my head, which was yes, since we've done this, a couple of little things have been pointed out to me, but they at no point kind of broke how engrossed I was in this, how masterfully I thought this story was told. This was this, had, you know, it was interesting because when this was first announced and we got excited for it, we were excited to just see Fall of the House of Usher, you know, and that, yeah. that's what we thought we were going to get was we thought we were just going to get Fall of the House of Usher. But what we got was 
seven, you know, eight, really. I mean, when you count the Raven and actually fall of the House of Usher, we end up with eight Poe stories here. And I think that each one is done justice. I, I think that I think that, the, you know, they, they stray pretty far. And, and you know, one of the biggest things I've seen when people want to bitch about this is is just how it's like, oh, did did he ever read Poe? Does he even understand? It's like, obviously, he knew what he was doing with this. And yes, you know, Poe was a long time ago and it's 2023 now. And while those stories still translate on paper, you don't necessarily create an entire show where those things play out the same way. So I think he effectively modernized a lot of these things. Mm-hmm. I think that he wrapped them up in a way that never felt forced. I, I never... I, I I very rarely, if at all, felt like something was just shoehorned in because this was another story he wanted to do. I felt like everything fit a character the way it was supposed to. And yeah, while while there are a couple little things, I'd feel dirty if I dropped this to four and a half Vulture Eyes. So I'm going to go five as well. Absolutely. And nice. if I'm doing my math right, which I'm very likely not, um, that leaves us at 4.66 repeating vulturize. Repeating, and, of course. Uh, <laughs> repeating, of course. Yeah. Um, but we're a movie that, podcast. That, that is that is one. one of my favorite YouTube videos. <laughs> It'll never get old. It'll never It'll get old. Never get old. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. At least I have some chicken. Um, <laughs> I'm so glad you did the repeating, of course. Um, so we uh, we're we're gonna round up. And it's going to go to five, five vulturize. Um, so, um, Eric, I hope you're on board with that. Um, hey, I'm I'm just like the literary snob over here. I'm totally, <laughs> I'm totally on board with it. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so so we're sitting, so we're sitting at five comfortably. Eric, it has been awesome to have you on for two episodes in a row. Tell everybody where they can go and find you and listen to your newest project. Yes, thank you so much for having me on. This has been such a joy to talk to both of you. Um, uh, I'm at the Projectionist Lending Library, a podcast with my friend and I. We read books, watch adaptations, and discuss both. Uh, we actually just dropped a double episode on Truman Capote's In Cold Blood. Ooh, uh, nice. So Philip uh, Well, we do talk about okay. Capote, that one, and we talk about Infamous. And there was a film adaptation back and in the And then oh, the okay. 1967 yeah. Oh, that's right. Hoffman was just in Capote movie. Right. right. Yeah. So we talk about all of those movies, and we talk about the movie, or the book, obviously. Um, I'm, I'm like like Capote is like one of the people I study. So we kind of like go off the deep end here, but um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's uh, please join us. We have like, we just had that double episode drop. We'll have another one coming out soon about Ellery queen detective mm. fiction. Oh um, my God. And- I, that show, that show is such a big part of my childhood. Me and my mom used to watch the shit out of Ellery queen. Mystery. Yeah. I well, it. I mean, I was just going to say, I would love to have y'all on. Like our recording is sometimes some weird hours because my co-host lives and teaches in China. Oh, Um, so like we (laughs) mentioned that in the last. Yeah. So it's always sort of different times, but I would love to have you all on talking about this adaptation has been an absolute joy. Yeah, we uh, we we'd kicked around the idea at one point of maybe doing The Exorcist. Mm -hmm. Um, We would love to do that. Yeah. Yeah. that and I know you y'all, I know you have done the exorcist, but like uh but it was literally the first episode of the original incarnation okay. of the show. So we're talking like I don't know, maybe eight years ago. Wow. Um yeah. and, and D- Danny was not on that episode. 
Um, so I, I would love to revisit The Exorcist. Yeah, yeah like, because let's, it's, let's yeah. make this happen because and it's a little bit of a different format. We spend half of it talking about the book, and then we have spent half of it talking about the movie. So I'd love it. I've never read the book. I've seen the movie. I haven't. I haven't seen. I haven't read the book either. So. And I, I mentioned this on the last uh, episode when you asked, like, what horror got me. It was yeah. watching The Exorcist as a child playing with a Ouija board and being right. convinced I was going to be possessed. <laughs> so <laughs> thank you guys Captain for howdy. Hey, Captain Howdy. Captain Howdy. <laughs> Thank y'all for sticking with us for, for two episodes and getting through Fall of the House of Usher. Next week, we are going to be back to just doing movies. We've got one that has been the... This is one of the most recorded movies that we've ever had. It, and from talking to people from Instagram DMs, from stuff like that. We are coming back next week with the hottest movie in horror this year, it seems. We're going to be doing Talk to Me. Oh, next so week and so if you are listening now and you're like ah i just i don't know if i can do another two episodes on eight episodes cool we're going back to a movie we're hitting that a24 mm-hmm. train and mm-hmm. uh we're, we're gonna see dave you've seen it already i have not yet so i'm yeah. going to be watching it for the for the first time when we get ready to do it next week eric you've been awesome uh, make sure you follow him on all his social media. If you're watching live, you can see it down there. If not, his personal is Ebob Kling with a K, E-B-O-B-K-L-I-N-G. You can follow his personal, find all his stuff there. And if you're looking for us, you can head to shiverpod.com where you will find links to all of our social media sites. We are the most active on Instagram. However, we are on Facebook and Twitter as well. All of those things at Shiverpod, including our YouTube, where you can catch our live broadcast every Wednesday. We'll be back to movies next week. We had a blast at Spooky Empire. Just real quickly before we go out, we met a bunch of amazing people. Uh, shout out to yeah. um, Sparkle and Darkness, mm-hmm. um, uh, Night School, was it Night School Academy? Or Night, Night, Night School. School. Yeah, the yeah, Night School. Night that School. was a great podcast. I've listened to a couple episodes now. Um, really like those guys. I just finished their uh, Nightmare on Elm Street episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so yeah a lot of fun hopefully we're going to be bringing these people onto the show we met some amazing people i got to meet v neil which yeah. was a childhood dream that was unbelievable to me um and so we just had a blast and uh so thank you to everybody that we got to meet out there if you're listening uh, because you met us there we're so happy to have you uh make sure you hit us up on one of those social media sites because we're always looking for people to have on the show Absolutely. So on behalf of all of us here at Shiver, fright you very much.